Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for finding Whitehall Sources. Before we get stuck into the politics for you, a quick message from The Resident. These hotels, like their choice in podcasts, are exceptional. Whether you're travelling for business or leisure, at The Resident, you're offered the best rooms, prices and advice for your needs as well. We are so thrilled to be brought to you in association with The Resident, who have proudly backed us since day one. When we're booking a stay in London or Liverpool, it's the resident we head to and it's the resident you should head to. To find out more, click residenthotels.com. And welcome to Whitehall Sources. I'm Callum McDonald. We're recording on Friday the 16th of February. I say we, that's because Kirsty Buchanan is here too. Hello, Kirsty. Hello, Callum. Uh, lovely to speak How to you. How are you? Yes, I'm top of the pulse. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, in honesty, um, I'm running around. It's a very busy day. Um, there's all sorts of shenanigans afoot but it's fine it's all good basically uh listeners i've in about uh 30 minutes from now 40 minutes from now i'm leaving the flat to go to the scottish labor party conference in glasgow uh and so in what is already a busy day it's a lot lot busier but yes i'm good how are you uh i'm fine can i ask you about the scottish labor conference in glasgow because and this is the last time i am going to mention it but uh i was poopling through news stuff yesterday and i noticed that yesterday was the year anniversary since nicola sturgeon resigned Mm. as amazingly predicted by you on this (laughs) very podcast yes so that's it i'm drawing a line under that now 
but anyway, it did it did take me to uh, kind of looking at the polls mm-hmm. uh, after what's been a pretty uh, rocky year for SNP by anybody's measure. Uh, you know, am I right in thinking Labour aren't as doing as well as you would expect? And considering the importance of uh, Scotland and gaining seats in Scotland for Labour's uh, victory in the Westminster elections, what what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, so I think yes. So I think the overarching theme for uh, Scottish Labour. Uh, in particular, and I suppose Labour, Labour in in Scotland, if you could, if you sort of fold in the National Party, is why are you not doing better? Um, I think based on exactly what you say, Kirsty, the year that the SNP has had, uh, the, there's a, a feeling developing, which in itself is a problem, that Scottish Labour should be doing better than this, and that I think is is going to be a real sort of theme of the uh, Scottish Labour Party conference. So there was a poll this week um, that caught my eye that puts all of this into perspective. So let me just run through it. The SNP forecast, so this is in the general election, the SNP forecast to be the largest party with 40 seats, Labour would get 13, and the Lib Dems would get four. The Conservatives, according to this poll, would be wiped out. They would have zero seats in Scotland. There are other polls around suggesting that Labour's ahead of the SNP for the general election. This one gets the the, the credit of being the MRP poll that everybody goes mad about because it's predicted election results quite accurately the last couple of times. Um, But yes, I think that's something that Scottish Labour need to wrestle with. I think the other bit of context on this that's quite interesting, I think, is that Anna Sarwar, the Scottish Labour leader, uh, spoke to the New Statesman last last week and said, you know, he needs a popular... Keir Starmer government in order for him, Anna Sarwar, to become Scottish First Minister after the next Scottish parliamentary election, which is in 2026. And the last couple of weeks, as we know, have been pretty difficult for the Labour Party at large. And so I just wonder if this is the, this is what Anna Sarwar has in mind. I suspect it's it's very much not. <laughs> yes, it's not been a Great week for either no. leader, either Rishi Sunak nor uh, nor Keir Starmer, has it? Indeed, which is an interesting thing to say because we're sitting here on double by-election result day where the Labour Party have won and beaten the Conservatives, taking seats from the Conservatives in these two by-elections um, in Wellingborough and in Kingswood um, with pretty noticeable swings for both in Wellingborough uh, Labour took, this is Peter Bowden's former seat, he held it with a majority of more than 18,000. And then in Kingswood, Labour overturned an 11,220 Conservative majority to win the two seats. So it's, isn't it fascinating that even just a few hours after these results were announced, we're still saying it's been a bad week for both parties, actually. Which, you know, Labour have been given a great guns this morning on the media round saying, you know, great day, let's not be complacent. But we're still saying it was a bad couple of weeks for them. Yeah, I mean, look, Lotto, the, the you know the, the the leader's office, Labour leader office, has has always been very careful within its own ranks to dampen down uh, expectations, to uh, warn its MPs uh, and its uh, and its party activists and members about the dangers of complacency and the statistic that. Keir Starmer uh, likes to uh, remind people about is it would require a swing 
greater than the historic swing to Labour that secured Tony Blair's uh, thumping 1997 victory just for Labour to come back from where it was to secure a majority of one in one seat in the next general election. Uh, because obviously, as you will recall, uh, under Jeremy Corbyn's stewardship, probably of which more in a minute, mm. um, the the party at the last general election of 2019 went down to its lowest seat uh, level since 1935. So, so Labour have got to start from you know a really uh, low base to be able to to secure that victory. So it's right and proper that he he warns about complacency. The reality is, more often than not, polls will close and the gap between Conservatives and Labour will close the closer we get to the election. And one of the reasons for that is because, obviously, Labour's proposals come under greater scrutiny. Mm. And what we've got now, I think, is a is a Labour party. I was watching uh, an interview with... Uh, some uh, some shadow uh, front bencher from the Treasury team the other day, whose name escapes me. Forgive me. Um, and th- he was being pressed on. You know, this is going to be uh, an election mainly about the economy for obvious reasons. And he was being pressed on now. Now that Labour has ditched the twenty eight billion pound Green Prosperity Plan. Uh, and insist that it's still there, but you know, as I've said before, very hard to see how you get to a green prosperity plan without actually the investment. He's, uh, you know, they're, they're now being pressed on. Well, what's the difference? What's mm. the difference between you and the Conservatives? You know, you've got tight fiscal rules. You're going to have the same toxic legacy uh, that Rishi Sunak inherited in terms of the state of the economy, the state of public finances, the state of the public sector, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What is the difference? And the immediate response was, well, we will bring in stability. Well, okay, that's not a difference. Mm-hmm. We will get a lock in to ensure that the OBR publishes its, you know, which is the Independent uh, Office of Budget Responsibility, will publish. Uh, its uh, state of the economy before a budget. Well, apart from the outlier that was the uh, brief trust reign, that happens anyway. Um, and then he proceeded to talk about the prosperity plan. And again, he was pulled up on this point about, well, how do you get to the plan without the money? To which he said, well, you know, we'll work with private sector. So in essence, there is absolutely no guarantees about the uh um, green prosperity plan because if you're relying on the public sector, oh, sorry, the private sector to invest in that, you're not in control of the of the of the sector. And what the sector, what businesses are looking for, is greater clarity and greater certainty that the government will support these nascent mm. uh, green transitional industries so that they can have the confidence to back them. And on that, today in the Times is published a letter from hundreds uh, of businesses and industry industry leaders warning Sir Keir Starmer that the North Sea windfall tax, which is part of this adjusted green prosperity proposal, is going to create energy shortages and job losses 
they say on a par with Margaret Thatcher's closures of the coal mines. So yeah, 800 individuals, firms, trade groups, uh, they say the policy undermines Labour's plans for a green energy transition and places communities all over the UK at risk. Um, so it's sort of, this This brings into question Labour's own relationship with business, uh, but also in addition to their green plans and environmental credentials. But also, Kirsty, there is an interesting thing that you touched on there, which is, as Labour's plans come under more scrutiny, they're kind of disintegrating. This is a great example. This was the flagship uh, plan policy proposal, and it's it's fallen apart and is now being criticised by nearly a thousand businesses in the northeast of Scotland. Yeah. And, you know, and if anybody thinks that this is going to get any easier for them, can have a think on. You know, I've read a couple of articles this week from uh, the sort of centre-right journalists that are always worth reading. Mm-hmm. They've always got kind of their eye, very smart uh, about reading the kind of political weather. And so not only are they hugely exposed on the £28 billion Green Prosperity Plan now, and the, you know, the frankly illogical argument that they're now trying to maintain, that you can still get there with none of the money involved. Yeah. I don't think anybody is going to buy that one. Uh, uh, but also I can see some of the centre-right commentary moving on to the other really weak flank that, that Labour have got on the green transition and its plans for green transition, which is the idea of decarbonising the national grid by 2030. Now, to put it kindly, that is heroic. Yeah. Uh, it brings forward the time frame. It brings forward the time frame for for delivery on that by five years, compared to the Conservatives, uh, and the cost of that, obviously, to communities, um, as you as you've highlighted, is one of those things that again, I think that's another hmm. line of attack that I think you can expect the Conservatives kind of to, to open up. The other interesting thing, I've, I've managed one way or another, I've been walking around the streets of Westminster <laughs> this week and just by sheer good fortune have bumped into all sorts of people whose opinions I really respect. And it seems to me that whilst obviously, you know, quite a lot of the focus, and rightly so, is on the parlous stage of the Conservative Party uh, and the kind of move from the Conservative Party almost past Rishi Sunak to have that fight about who will lead afterwards. Well, on one level, you've got parliamentary parties still fighting like ferrets in a sack, fine. But actually, Conservative High Command, Conservative donors, uh, and the leading kind of Conservative centre-right commentariat have effectively moved away from this government too to the idea about what strategy do we need to ensure that Starmer has just one term in office. Now, you will know as well as I do, you know, Starmer has been clear in saying that his vision, or this was when he had a vision before he decided to ditch it, uh, his vision was a 10-year vision for Mm -hmm. the country. Well, you know, actually, if you the the Tories right now are laying all sorts of really, really dangerous traps for Labour. Uh, They'll attack very hard in terms of their transition and what that means for jobs, what that means for consumer bills. You know, if he backs away from that 2030 decarbonisation target on the grid, it will only add to the point that he's a flip-flopper. If he sticks with it, again, he's got a kind of credibility gap that Labour will keep on falling into. And on top of that, um, you know, one thing to keep an eye on in the in the uh, on the March the 6th budget, which uh, is coming up fast, mm-hmm. is the spending plans that Hunt is bringing in to create the headroom for tax cuts. 
there are some insanely, insanely painful spending plans. So if you're working on the theory that Labour, and you know, there's no reason to suggest otherwise, that Labour will win the next election, they will inherit really, really tight spending, public spending plans. So what's the options they've got there? If the Conservatives have brought in some tax cuts, do they reverse tax cuts for, for the working man and woman? Do they add to the balance sheet, which Rachel Reeves has said, absolutely not. We will not mm. borrow more. Uh, we won't even borrow to invest in our own prosperity plan. Uh, do they increase taxes? You know, because you can't, you know, the other argument is you grow your way out of of uh, stagnation. You grow your way out and the proceeds of growth will pay down your debt. Well, again, we're back to hard to see how you grow your way out when you've junked your green prosperity plan. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. News has reached us from our friends at the Resident Hotels, without whom we would not be here. This podcast is made in association with The Resident. The Resident in Covent Garden in London has been confirmed by TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best as the number two hotel in the UK and number 15 in Europe for 2023. Already, the resident Covent Garden had a magnificent reputation. It was number one in the UK TripAdvisor Traveller's Choice Best of the Best in 2022. And the resident in Victoria and the resident in Soho, both in London, feature in the UK Top 20. Add to that news that the resident in Liverpool, the resident Victoria and the resident in Kensington are all now ranked in the top 10% of hotels worldwide by TripAdvisor. Basically... What we're saying is, if you need a hotel in Liverpool or in London, book The Resident. Uh, right, let's welcome to the podcast uh, Catherine McLeod, who was a special advisor to Alistair Darling when he was Chancellor. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Great to have Thanks you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. It's brilliant to have you. Uh, first of all, where are you? I think we should ask you that. 
I'm uh, in the hotel beside um, the Labour Party conference in Glasgow. So I'm in the back of the River Clyde. And what's the atmosphere like? Is there a buzz about the place? There definitely is. There's a lot of people here. There's been a big uh, business conference this this morning. Lots of people are very um, upbeat. Mm. There is a, certainly, I've been coming to political conferences for a long time and uh, people are very pleased, delighted with last night's results. But not over, they know there's not overconfident, they know there's a lot of work still to do. Mm. One of the things we were just talking about, Catherine, and uh, Kirsty's uh, here too, so let's just pick up where we left off, Kirsty. Kirsty was talking about the kind of financial difficulties facing, yes, this current government when it comes to the budget next month, but then also whoever has to form the next government actually the next couple uh, the next few months excuse me till the end of this year and beyond are going to be really fiscally difficult i think that's absolutely right um i think there's been huge fiscal mis- mismanagement of the economy they've been hit um by of course they've been hit by covid and they've been hit by ukraine but there's obviously um you know perhaps have had their priorities wrong i think it will be very difficult for whoever wins the election um, and I think that nobody is more aware of that than Rachel Reeves. So I think what she has, the difficulty that she has is to lower expectations, but at the same time give people some hope that there is a better future than the one that um, they might be contemplating under the, if the government continues in the way it is. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting part of this, obviously, that the data we got yesterday suggested, uh, well, showed that the UK fell into recession at the end of 2023. How difficult a backdrop is that for, well, particularly the Conservatives at this point, that is something that will that will haunt Rishi Sunak based on his pledge to get the economy growing? Well, it is very difficult. I mean, it's, um, I mean, there is no sugar in this pill. He's, and it under, under, undermines his whole argument is that you know they're the best managers of the economy, and you know you can go forward with confidence with a conservative government. I think it will be very difficult for him to manage the narrative now, because it's so obviously contradicted everything that the facts are there now, the data's there. It's um, you know he's been making false promises and standing in a false premise really. Mm-hmm. Kirsty, that's a difficult one for Rishi Sunak, isn't it? The, you know, the idea that these pledges that we always we've talked about lots in this podcast, we keep holding them up as a as a as a way to grade him, and he keeps falling short. Uh, yes, and you know, actually, even more than that, what we saw at the start of the year was the narrative and the lines to take that we will hear incessantly from uh, from Rishi Sunak in in the run up to the next election, which is. You know, I'm the man with a plan. Stalm is the man without a plan. The plan is working. Stick to the plan. Well, the plan clearly isn't working, is it? You know, we are in recession. Uh, I've just because this is kind of a, you know the party animal that I am. I've just looked up stagflation, which actually was always the Treasury's kind of biggest concern, uh, falling out from uh, kind of the energy crisis and COVID, et cetera, was that we ended up in a period of sustained, like really low growth, or now in this case, no growth, negative growth, Um, uh, uh, but actually a period of kind of high inflation. And this is why, uh, you know, the reality is, look, even if we kind of tip back out of recession, 
it, you're going to have to go a very long way between now and let's say the, the general election is in November for people to feel anything other than the malaise that we feel. It feels not just like a recession. It feels like we're trapped in kind of 70s stagflation, that nothing really you know works, that the economy hasn't grown, not just you know after COVID and after the Ukraine you know energy crisis, but before that, for years and years and years, people's uh, you know, uh, living standards haven't really kind of kept pace with the sort of surge, particularly around housing. I think that is a a big part of that. So if you throw some price spikes on top of it, like we've seen around, you know, the cost of energy and fuel. Uh, and by the way, you know, just a little caveat there, we still, you know, we still might see that surge in energy prices pushing inflation back up towards the end of the year. And we still have that issue around the Red Sea and the supply mm. route of a lot of food and fuel and medicines that go around it. So we might be in another supply side crisis soon. You know, unless people really feel the difference and feel the benefit in their pocket, then, you know, whether we're in or out of recession is kind of a, almost a moot point. Although, obviously, mm. you know, on the day of this and the day of two thumping losses in, in by-elections, let's not, you know, let's not make any bones about this. You know, I, I watched poor old Richard Holden, the chairman of the Conservative Party, this morning trying to insist it was all about a low turnout. But you yeah. know, there's 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 no getting around from this. This was a this is a disaster for Bridget Sunak. Catherine, I mean, the single biggest factor that's affecting our GDP figures at the moment is us uh, is Brexit, and until the the people who are in government face up to that. Is ne- it is never going to get better. I mean, even Goldman Sachs, Rishi Sunak's former employee, came out with a report this week saying that it had um, so adversely affected our economy. And the, the only thing that is going to improve our economy is for there to be growth in the economy and for people to get jobs. Social security, of course, is very important, but actually that is kind of tinkering at the edges of people's lives. People will get better when there's more growth and more people are employed. And until we have a more honest conversation about that, and that's what Rachel Reeves and Fairness is trying to do, things are not going to get better. Yeah. Well, that, I that's mean, that not very optimistic, but that is a dose of... <laughs> well, there, but there's reality, isn't it? That's the thing, you know. And, and you, you, Catherine, you make the point that it's about honest conversations. And Kirsty, are you seeing any evidence of those conversations anywhere? Is it time that somebody started that honest conversation? How, how, how do we go from here, basically? Oh, Christ, no. Look, if I was Labour, I wouldn't go within an honest conversation about Brexit within a country mile in the run-up to a general election because that's a that's a free hit for the Conservatives to go, oh, well, you know, Keir Starmer, you know, he fought tooth and nail against Brexit. He, you know, he wants to take us back into the European Union. And regardless of whether that is true or just a sensible grown-up conversation about, you know, uh, improving our kind of trade with with European Union post Brexit is neither here nor there, and I can't think of anything that would unite the reform and the Conservative vote faster than raising the spectre of that this side of a general election. <laughs> uh, Catherine, I want to come back to you just on. The- that's not. I don't think. Go for it. Go for it. I don't think for a minute that Keir Starmer um, or anybody else in the Labour Party is going to stand up just now and say, "Let's go back into the European Union." But until there is a, and, and that's not what I meant by honest conversation, what I meant by, you know, they blame COVID, they blame Ukraine, they blame everything else. But the real core problem 
for our, about our economy and jobs is Brexit. And that's why people have got to sort of, people have to stop, you know, being conned by politicians and they've got to say, well, you know, if these are the root causes, how are we going to address them? And perhaps it will be getting closer to Europe again, not joining the European, uh, not joining the EU, but just doing things differently to try and address the awfulness of the, on the consequences of us of Brexit. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Catherine, I wonder if I could come to you on, on recent polling uh, this week suggesting a Tory wipeout in Scotland at the general election uh, and that the SNP would hold at 40 seats was the suggestion, uh, but also that Labour perhaps might not do as well as uh, people might think. I, I suppose one of the conversations that's had is with the SNP uh, and the year they've had since Nicola Sturgeon resigned, why aren't Labour doing better in Scotland? Um, how much do you, how much weight do you give that suggestion if Labour were to emerge with something like 13 seats, which is what was suggested in this, uh, in this recent poll this week, that actually Labour should be doing better than that? Yeah, well, I think Anas Sarbar would think that would be disappointing if they just came out with 13 seats. I think there will always be a core of people in Scotland who support independence. doesn't matter how much poorer it's going to make them or the whatever consequences there are. So what Anas Sarbar is going to have to do is to appeal to these people that are, who are disenchanted Labour voters who voted SNP after the, the referendum and that is a big challenge. It's going to be very tough. Um, but I don't know, actually, why why more people have not become disillusioned with the SNP because the record of delivery is awful. I don't know that there's one in this in which they have, have improved the situation and certainly in health and education it's got worse. But um, I think it's a chat. And as Sarah is very aware of the challenge and... We'll see what happens in the next few months. Yeah, it's it's a, a really. And fascinating Catherine, time. sorry, can I? Yeah, please do, Kirsty. Sorry, Cam, can I just jump in there? And Catherine, from a strategic point of view, what's the relationship between Scottish Labour and kind of UK Westminster Labour? Does uh, Sawa kind of carve a separate path and create a distinct identity, or do they think that you know the UK, the Westminster uh, Labour Party, is a benefit to them in the in the current circumstances? Um, well, it's a double-edged sword. I think that people in, there will be some people in Scotland who will vote Labour if they think there's a chance of there being a Labour government. They want to be on the winning side. Um, the, the First Minister, Jumsa Yusuf, is fighting, as his campaign is about saying, um, you're going to get a Labour government anyway. Don't, you don't need to wish, you, you know, let's ask me an authentic Scot Scottish voice sitting on the opposition benches and there will get a Labour government without anybody leaving the SNP. I think the relationship between Keir and Anas is personally is very good. I think Anas is confident enough and clever enough to be his own man. And, um, you know, to, I mean, they had, a, they had a difference on how they presented themselves over um, Gaza, for instance. I mean, I have no doubt that Keir Starmer would like the fighting to stop as much as anyone else, but he's probably more you know, involved in the geopolitical argument. He was saying, you know, let's stop the, the killing, let's have humanitarian aid, let's have a sustainable um, solution. And Anas was out there saying, a ceasefire. 
So, you know, there is a difference. Um, there was a difference over the two child um, cap and benefits. I can't remember. I mean, there are other differences, mm. but that doesn't mean to say that, um, you know, that, that there's not a fractured relationship. It's a good relationship. And both have got, you know, there's different arguments around the, around the table. Catherine, it's so good to speak to you. Uh, what, what else is on your agenda for Scottish Labour Conference? Where are you off to now? Is it a boozy lunch? That's what's supposed to happen, isn't it? A political party Certainly conference? not. As if, what, a, what a terrible suggestion. I'm not, I wouldn't be at any boozy lunch. And I thought, things have changed. Over the years, life has changed. I'm looking around and people are drinking. There might be the odd half pint but certainly nobody is losing. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, well, I'm about to head to the airport to come up and join you. So uh, I hope to see you in a little bit. Oh, that'd be good to look forward to that. Likewise. Okay. Thank you so much, Cheers, Catherine. Alan. Great to speak Bye. to you. Bye. Cheers, Bye-bye. Bye. 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 That's Catherine McLeod, who was a special advisor to Alistair Darling, uh, live at Scottish Labour Conference in Glasgow. Uh, not doing a boozy lunch, uh, it's worth noting. Um, right, Kirsty. so we've, t- you know, we've kind of touched on the difficult week uh, for well, difficult couple of weeks for both political parties. The by-election result here, uh, as well, which by the way, Reform UK came in third, and the Lib Dems were nudged out into fourth and fifth in these two by-elections. And I think you know we were speaking to um, the candidate, the Reform candidate, Reform UK candidate Ben Habib, who was st- standing in Wellingborough. Uh, where they got a decent percentage of the vote, I think about thirteen percent, and he was saying to Times Radio this morning. Uh, his message to Richard Holden, the chair of the Conservative Party, uh, was to sort of not be quite so elitist. Richard Holden had told us that uh, a vote for Reform UK was a vote to give the keys to Downing Street to to Keir Starmer. And Ben Habib took, perhaps understandably, real issue with that, um, saying that, you know, that's not really fair that Reform UK are, uh, are kind of in this to win it. And Professor Sir John Curtis actually said Reform UK is quite, quite interesting. They're now sort of proving that they've got a bit of electoral credibility. I just think that's really interesting because it feels like the biggest impact they're going to have is to is to take votes off the Conservatives. That's that's the suggestion, is that if you vote Reform UK, it's fewer votes for the Tories, and so that allows uh, more Labour victories in more constituencies across the country. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, look, there is some sort of suggestion, just to put it in context, that actually the Reform vote... Uh, I mean, whilst obviously it seems to be taking the vast majority of its votes off the Conservatives rather than Labour, you know, to some extent it's an underperformed in Wellingborough. If you if you decide that kind of UKIP is a comparable uh, previous organisation, just to put this in perspective, UKIP got twenty percent of the vote in Wellingborough in the twenty fifteen general election. Uh, so the ten percent that they got, kind of, you know. Uh, you know, it, it it's it's not as as much as their potential, and you know, and whether Farage stands or not, I think might make uh, some difference. But the interesting thing on on reform is is kind of how the Tories handle it from a political strategic point of view. Mm. Do you right now accept that you know, no matter how many times you put Rishi Sunak on? What I kind of call blokey media, so I think it's been on GB News this week, and obviously <laughs> Pierre Morgan and stuff. Blokey. There's nothing very blokey or authentic about uh, about Rishi Sunak. Uh, so no matter how many times you put him on that uh, and talk tough about uh, immigration, you're unlikely to win back that kind of eight to ten percent of the vote. 
which is why you'd probably just uh, be best spending your time and your efforts more on just pushing home the idea that a vote for reform is a vote for Labour because that is the only thing that they might find slightly more concerning and concentrating on your core conservative vote. So shoring up your core turnout, which is, you know, uh, blue wall, hard work, mm. aspiration, you know, low taxation, et cetera, et cetera. And, and in effect, give up on that vast rump of people who switched to the Conservatives in 2019 for a specific idea. Now, I know the strategy and the hope was always that you could permanently convert that kind of red wall vote into a Conservative vote uh, and you know move the Conservatives into being what you call kind of the real party of the working man and woman, mm. whilst Labour sort of disappeared into this, you know, uh, guardian urban elite type party of of graduates and and professionals, uh, but 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 that clearly hasn't that clearly hasn't worked. And so at some point you've you know at some point Rishi Sunak's got to pick a horse uh, and ride it rather than trying to ride two at the same time. Uh, and I just every time I you know see him out on blokey media I cringe. You know it's just not authentic, uh, and I doubt a single voter who was planning at the moment to vote reform uh, will switch because he's appeared on GB, you know GB News and talked a lot about immigration and dropped some of his T's and some of his H's. It's <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Uh, Kirsty, thank you. You know, Tony Blair used to do this a lot. Sorry. Go on. Just, yeah, Tony, Tony Blair used to do this sort of, you know, uh, sit on the sofa on GB News and all of a sudden his <laughs> voice was all kind of guttural stops and it'd be like, you know, it's like some sort of bad Mickey take of, of, of Vic, uh, what was his name, Van Dyke was in Mary Poppins and it was all a bit kind of call blimey governor. Just, like, <laughs> just be who you are be yourself. and play to your strengths. Yes. Be yourself. But it is interesting that the Conservatives have feel that they have no choice but to run a presidential-style mm-hmm. election, which puts Sunak front and centre, so that they can say, because obviously there is some merit to this narrative, you know, I am a man with a plan. Starmer is a flip-flopper who can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. You know, and he ditches things, and he U-turns, and what does he really believe in? And if you vote for Labour, you're voting for a man without a plan. So, you know, you're going to have Labour trying to, to to run an election where they will run on the Conservatives and 14 years of Conservative rule because they appreciate that quite a lot of people think that Sunak is a, is a decent, hardworking man with a sticky wicket and the Conservatives running a presidential election where they pit the character of Rishi Sunak up against the character of Starmer. And some of the stuff we've seen just to nod to the upcoming Rochdale by-election. Some of the stuff we've seen uh, in Rochdale where the Labour candidate uh, had the had the whip removed and basically been suspended from the party because of anti-Semitism will play right into uh, that kind of uh, that kind of narrative for the Conservatives that, you know, you, you don't really know what you're getting with Starmer. This is a man who stood by and was silent four years of, of Corbyn uh, running the Labour Party where anti-Semitism was rife and uh, Starmer stood by and let it happen. Uh, which, by the way, obviously, to be fair, you know, since he's been leader, he has done an extraordinary job mm-hmm. uh, of weeding anti-Semitism out of the party. And I don't think anybody should take anything away from him for that. 
But obviously, there's always that suspicion and the thing that the Tories will work on here, which is not only that actually the party hasn't been fully purged, but also that Starmer did stand by and let that happen without raising his voice against it. It's a really interesting conversation and it is one that is going to dominate, uh, I suspect, the next couple of weeks. I'm sorry that we're having to cut our time a little shorter than usual today. I have to go and actually throw things in a suitcase because I'm leaving the flat in five five minutes from now. Leaving on that midnight train to Glasgow, as the song goes, sort of. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But thank you, Kirsty. Thank you to Catherine McLeod as well, who I think we'll have back on the podcast, actually, uh, to give us some uh, uh, further analysis as the weeks go by. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you again next week. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.